This is The Guardian. Today, how work is making us sick. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I think most people would say that the first year of their nursing career is really, really hard. Um, I remember speaking to one of my colleagues and she said my first year of nursing was like the worst of my life. Lizzie's a nurse in Greater Manchester. She qualified in 2020, possibly the most difficult period in the NHS's history. And she was thrown straight onto an oncology ward, treating people who have cancer. There were no visitors allowed at that time. And so some patients went for months without seeing their friends or family. So I think it was the, yeah, a bit of a combination of the actual mood within the hospital, because it was quite lonely for a lot of the patients. And that's very hard, you know, to see and to, to sort of deal with, but also just the general pressure of the job, coupled with the not being able to see any of your own friends, any of your own family, that made it very, very intense. As the months went on, Lizzie found herself struggling to cope. She couldn't stop thinking about work when she wasn't there, but every day as she drove in, she says she felt overwhelmed with dread. I was working a lot of night shifts. I couldn't sleep during the day. My mind would be absolutely racing. I was living by, with my boyfriend at that point and he'd be saying, I don't think you need to think about that right now. You need to go to bed. It's, you know, it's 12, it's 12 midday and you've got a night shift tonight. I don't think you should be up and worrying and fretting and panicking. And I'd be like, no, 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 it's fine. This isn't, I, I, I kind of convinced myself it was normal. But I started to feel unwell. I started to get migraines more and more, which I have had in the past, but they got sort of out of control. That all came to a bit of a head and that's when I first thought, oh, wait a minute, actually, I feel so stressed and making myself unwell. Did you recognise it as burnout? No, not definitely, definitely not at that time. And I would say it probably took another maybe six months before I recognised it as burnout. Among NHS workers, burnout has become an epidemic. Between March 2020 and September last year, the NHS lost more than 15 million working days because staff were off with burnout or stress. And while the combination of tough shift patterns, late night working and the responsibility to care for people's lives makes healthcare workers particularly at risk of burning out, they're not alone. According to a recent major study, 42% of office workers say they've experienced burnout. So what can we and our managers do to stop it? From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus... How can we escape burnout? So Lizzie, you'd gone into nursing, sure that this is what you wanted to do. I know you're in your 30s and you'd had another career before this, something completely different. 
And so then you qualify and only about a year into the job, you realised it was making you ill and you weren't coping. I can imagine that that made you feel a little guilty, actually. Like, I can't give up on this so soon. Yeah, literally every single day. Like, every single day was like that. And also because you, you're around colleagues who either perhaps aren't feeling that way or don't show their feelings in that way. I mean, you sort of think, oh, well, everyone else is absolutely fine. Like, why am I struggling so much? Like, why do I feel so completely spent by this whole thing? And it must be me. It must be my fault. I'm not organized enough. I'm not, I'm not confident enough. I'm not, yeah, I'm not a good enough nurse. You, all those things just constantly whizzing around your head and, you know, waking up at that point, like half past five in the morning in the dark to go to another shift that you didn't want to go to. You just felt like every day, oh, it's my fault. Tell me about that then. Like, How would you feel knowing that you were having to start another shift? How did you feel each day doing that? I mean, it was it was real dread. Every day before I went in, I'd be like, what on earth is going to happen today? How is How am I going to cope with another day? How am I going to get through this 13-hour shift? And then you kind of go, right, well, can't sit around here and worry about it all day, got to go. And you just sort of go on autopilot. You just go to work and don't think about it. Get really stressed, get really unhappy, come home, fall asleep within about an hour after eating something very unhealthy and then go to sleep and do it all again. Was it affecting things outside of work for you as well? Yeah. I mean, definitely. I think my my poor boyfriend must have really he's got a very different personality type to me. So he, he's quite, he's got quite a stressful job, but is also probably quite a lot more relaxed than me. And I just, the fact that I wasn't sleeping, that I, you know, just constantly like we'd be on a day off and I'd go, oh my gosh, I've forgotten to do X. You know, an intrusive thought would pop into my head and would sort of tell me like, you haven't done this thing. You haven't signed for that medication or you haven't done this. And invariably I always had done that, that thing, but it was just that constantly it would pop into my head that I hadn't done it and so then I'd go into a massive spiral not able to sort of bring myself down and he'd be going no I think it's I think it's fine like I don't, I don't think you should be wor- worrying and it's your day off and you should be asleep you know it's you know you're on a night shift tonight you shouldn't be worrying about this so yeah I think he he definitely must have struggled with how I was feeling I just kind of wanted to stay in and just lie down and not do anything which isn't like me I am quite a sociable person generally I think that you know for me was a sort of inkling that things were starting to go a bit awry Carrie Cooper you're a professor of organizational psychology at the University of Manchester and I'm interested to speak to you because You've been studying how the pandemic exacerbated burnout in the UK and especially among people working in healthcare like Lizzie, who I've just been speaking to. What did you find out in your research? Well, certainly among uh, healthcare workers, burnout was very prevalent. Funny enough, I, I was asked by clinical leaders in the Northwest to look at all the hospitals in the Northwest and looked at the stress levels and burnout levels during that period of time. I think it was 19 hospitals we looked at. And we found that it was astronomical. It was massive. Now, when you're talking about nursing, it's quite interesting. It's emotional labor, which is a main characteristic of burnout, which you don't find in just ordinary stress in an office worker, for example, because you're being exposed to people dying, you're being exposed to children suffering, which is very upsetting. So 
this emotional labor element of burnout, I think, is quite significant, particularly in the caring professions. But during the pandemic, a lot of people suffered, particularly people at the coalface from a health perspective, but also other people in other ordinary jobs because the worry about job security, which was a big, big factor in leading to burnout, you know, being online all the time, being furloughed, wondering if you had a job, even if you weren't furloughed, what's going to happen when we get out of this? Will there be jobs for me? And job insecurity was a key factor in the pandemic. And we saw after the pandemic was over, you know, a lot of people left. They called it the great resignation. And the reason they called it that after the pandemic was because people had time to reflect and thought, you know, this job is killing me. I just don't need it anymore. And they left. So I think it was quite a profound period of time on the mental well-being of people generally. Some people or many of us in this culture treat longer working hours like a sort of badge of honour. Are we actually working longer hours than we used to, or is there just more of a culture of presenteeism? Oh, we're working excessively long hours because here's what we're doing. We're not even working a nine to five. Forget the nine to five. That's absolutely gone. The average working week where you're actually in front of a screen, either at home or at work, is probably more like 50 hours a week rather than 40. However, put on top of that, while you're on holiday, at the weekend, that never used to happen. When we were truly nine to five, you'd left work. We didn't have smartphones. Uh, you couldn't access your work. You didn't. And you actually took the weekend off to help you kind of for a bit of R&R, to be with your family, to exercise, to do all those sorts of things. No, in Western culture, uh, there are very few countries where people are working 30, 40 hour weeks. Tell me about the impact then of technology. You know, a lot of us are are splitting our attention between multiple screens. And as you say, using our devices into the evenings at weekends, it can feel to many of us like we always have to be available. What does the research tell us about how technology is impacting, you know, the extent to which we're going to get burnt out? Well, there's a whole new field called techno stress. And it started with emails. And by the way, this was before the pandemic, looking at how do emails affect us and how does a smartphone? Remember when we had a mobile phone, we just talked to people. We didn't pick up our emails. But now we have a phone uh, which has all our emails on it. We keep it on because we want to talk to our kids, our friends, our colleagues from time to time. But then we say, oh, well, it's Saturday and I'm watching the kids go swimming for swimming lessons. Well, I think I'll just check my emails. We do that now. We're totally addicted. You just go on a tube in London. You go uh, on a bus. You go on a train. Everybody at all times of the day and night are accessing their email. And particularly night troubles me in the sense that people just before they go to bed, there was a big study in HR done, a global one, which showed that something like 45% of people the last thing they do before they go to sleep is check their emails, which isn't good for you. Oh, that's so sad. It's, it's, it's so sad, isn't it? And not only that, it disrupts your sleep. What if you see something on the email that troubles you? You're, you're going to be worried about it all night and there's nothing you can do about it because it's 10 o'clock at night. You can't get in touch with somebody. And then we have Zoom calls. Uh, people were worn out during the pandemic, weren't they? They were Zoomed out. 
it was called. So uh, it's not good news. No. Had you already been tracking an increase in burnout before the pandemic or was it really the conditions of that 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 made things so much worse for people? Well, I'll tell you the times when you tend to get burnout and stress the most. They are times when two factors are highly prevalent, uncertainty and lack of control. We get those so in things like pandemics, but we get those also in recessions. And during periods of time like this, people do burn out. And you know why? Because not only do they have, are there fewer people during a recession doing more work as a consequence of the, of the organizations downsizing to keep their labor costs down, but feeling job insecure encourages them to work longer hours to try to show commitment to their bosses so they're not the next tranche of people made redundant. Mm, because we shouldn't be in a situation where people are having to quit their jobs because they're feeling burnt out. This is very costly for employers when burnout occurs. They lose people. They put a lot of money in recruiting them and training them and getting up to scratch to work, and then you burn them out. And then you have to go through the same process again. And the costs of recruitment and developing people and keeping them there. No, this is really bad. And, and particularly now, since we left the EU, we have a, a loss of skill base. We lost a lot of skilled people back to Europe. Uh, an HR director told me once, I said, you're into this well-being stuff and you're into trying to reduce burnout and reduce stress levels. Why are you doing it? And he said something really powerful. I should have written, written a book on it called Regrettable Turnover. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, we are so mean and lean as a result of the financial crisis that, to be honest with you, we can't afford to lose any key people. And given that we don't have the skill base we used to have before 2016, we now need to make sure that we keep the people we have. Otherwise, we won't be very effective, whether it's a public sector body or a private sector body. It's often when people really care about what they do that they get burnt out. As Amelia Nagoski, a conductor and author from Massachusetts in the US, has experienced. I was getting my doctorate in conducting at a large state land-grant institution in the United States. And for the years that I was there... I mean, I was also commuting 65 miles each way, which is known to be one of the most intense stressors. I was also working three part-time jobs and a stepmother to three teenagers. So, <laughs> you know, there, there was a lot going on. Amelia began to struggle. She was studying in a field that was dominated by men and she felt like she couldn't be herself. And when she went home, she had no time to relax. And then... About two years into my degree program, I ended up in the emergency room with abdominal pain, this sharp, incredible, stabbing, horrible abdominal pain. And they couldn't find a diagnosis. There was, you know, nothing physically wrong. My, you know, white cell count was ridiculously high, but they couldn't find a reason. So they sent me home and told me to relax. And uh, luckily, I have a sister with a PhD in health sciences, and she brought me stacks and stacks of peer-reviewed research, because that's, that's, that's like our love language in our family. 
So you use that research to try and figure out what was happening to you. And you used what you'd learnt to write two books on burnout with your sister. And in them, you explain why women may be more susceptible to burnout than men. Talk to me about that. There do seem possibly to be sex differences. One, because of socialization, because women face different and in some ways more challenging stressors than men do on a population level. Like women are more likely to be the uh, victims of relationship violence, intimate partner violence, much more likely to be sexually harassed or face workplace prejudice, be passed over for promotions, that kind of like bias and prejudice and bigotry in the workplace. And it must be said that uh, trans people are even more susceptible to these stressors than cis women are. The less you conform to the socially constructed ideal, the more vulnerable you are to these kinds of oppressions. If you add race into that, physical ability, mental illness, these all contribute to burnout. If you're a parent as well, the division of labour in that sense tends to fall more heavily on women still, doesn't it? Oh, all over the world. It's much, much more that women are just by default held accountable for raising the children and keeping the house. And if you are one of the lucky people like me who lives in a household where it is not the default that the feminine person in the home is going to, you know, write up the grocery list and make sure that everybody has what they need for the week. Even though we say that that's not, oh, that's not the way the world is anymore. That's still underpinning everything that we are. Coming up, what can we do to try and avoid burnout? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by better help. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. 
Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. So, Amelia, what coping strategies have you found, you know, since you experienced burnout those years ago? What have you done to try and make sure that you don't have to go through that again? When Emily and I wrote the book, Emily's my identical twin sister. And uh, when we wrote the book, we thought we were going to be writing a self-help book, you know, a book about the things each individual can do to make sure that they're not swamped by the patriarchy and to, you know, survive and thrive. And it turned out as we read more and more research, the research said that the answer is love. (laughs) (laughs) What? No, that sounds so dopey and trite. But it turns out the research is just like, hey, interpersonal neurobiology, we are we are built to connect with other people and um, making sure that the connections that I'm around are with people who feel as strongly about caring for my well-being as I care about theirs. Uh And that I don't invest in relationships where someone feels entitled to my time or my life or my body. I don't invest energy in relationships where somebody feels that it is my responsibility to drain myself dry or to sacrifice my well-being on the altar of their convenience. So changing my relationships changing the value I place on certain relationships has been the most valuable thing that happened. If you could pick one major change that anybody listening to this could make for themselves today, what would you tell them to do? Get adequate sleep. Get adequate, high-quality sleep. Start figuring out not only how many hours of sleep will help you thrive, but also what time of day you sleep best. People vary. Some people really are night owls. Some people really are morning birds. Figure out what your chronotype is. If you can discover the kind of sleep your body needs, first of all, this is practice listening to your body instead of just following the schedule set for you by capitalism. And second of all, you actually get the practical benefit of getting adequate sleep. It sounds to me like there are reasons to be hopeful and cheerful about this. Yes. (laughs) The good news is that you can deal with the stress as it manifests in your body, even if you can't get rid of the thing that caused your stress. If you have to keep working that shitty job because you don't have any other options and you got bills to pay and kids to feed, you can deal with the stress as it shows up in your body by doing those things that we know are good for us, the vegetables and the sleep and the connection with our friends and whatever physical activity feels good. Um, that, that, yeah. And then when we do that and we actually build up the healing and the capacity for feeling well and oscillating through all the cycles of being human, that enables us to have energy to create change. Carrie, what would you advise people to do if they think that they're experiencing burnout? I would try to find out, so what aspect of your work is causing you the burnout? 
Is it unrealistic uh, deadlines? Is it uh, unmanageable workloads? Is it a bad relationship with your boss? Is it that your boss doesn't let you work flexibly and you need to work flexibly given the commitments you have outside and given the nature of the role, you can do that. Once you identify what the issue is, then you should talk to your line manager about it. That's what you should do. Because number one, that's giving you control. You're taking control. You're identifying. And maybe you need somebody to talk to about this. Sometimes you could go to a counselor. And most companies have what they call EAPs, Employee Assistance Programs, where you can call up counselors from outside anonymously and talk to them about the things that are troubling you. And maybe they'll help you identify what the drivers are for burnout. And then you can deal with it. And if it's unmanageable workloads, at some point in time, you have to go to your line manager and and talk it over. We have to manage it. It's partly our responsibility and it's partly the responsibility of the organization. Otherwise, we'll get laws like the right to disconnect law, which France has, Portugal has, New Zealand has, and other countries in the EU are considering it. And just for people who haven't heard about that, can you just explain what it means, the right to disconnect? Okay, the right to disconnect law, if you take the French law, they were the first ones to introduce it. And what it means is no manager, whether in the public or the private sector, is allowed by law to send an email out of office hours to their subordinates, to their staff. That means at night, at weekends, while they're on holiday. It's against the law. And at first I thought to myself, the difficulty will be we're working now more hybridly and some people want to pick their kids up at 3.30, but then work in the evening. And if you're now outlawing it out of office hours, that will stop the kind of flexible working arrangements going on. However, there was a company within the first year of that law that actually was fined 60,000 euros for breaking the law in France where employees complained. But it's in a way, I like it because it's sending a message to employers. Control it. Tell your managers not to send the emails to people out of office hours unless absolutely necessary. Carrie, we've discussed all these different ways that people can recognise in themselves if, if they're feeling burnt out and what they can try and do to address that. But one of the main stressors, as you've said, is work. And it's not always easy to see how to make changes in that regard because the problems tend to be structural. So what can people do if it's their job that's burning them out? I'm very, very positive about it. You know why? This start about five and a half years ago when a group of uh, chief medical officers and HR directors came to see me at, at Manchester Business School. And they said, Carrie, we're really concerned about th- this. You would never have heard of 20 years ago. They said, we want to do things in our organizations. So we formed this National Forum for Health and Wellbeing at Work. And we now have 44 employers, big ones, and some medium-sized ones. And you know what? They're really into this. And you know why they're into it? Because they want, they're worried about the health, the, the fact that Stress, anxiety, depression, and burnout are the leading cause of long-term sickness absence. They're worried about it because they can't retain good people. So I'm really positive because these people are making a difference. They're going back to their organizations. They're trying to find out what works and what doesn't work. And I think we're going to make a real difference in the UK. And we need to, to be more competitive internationally. We need to retain people and get the most out of them. It's the way you treat them 
and how you manage their workloads and how you manage them and whether you trust and value them. All these factors will lead to a much more effective workforce and a less ill one. Carrie, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to Lizzie, Amelia and Carrie for chatting to us. This episode was produced by Matt Murphy and sound designed by Solomon King. The executive producers were Elizabeth Casson and Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.